Well, turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12, we're, we're getting to the end. We're almost to the, we're in the last chapter, we're almost to the end. It's been a great study. We have seen the faithfulness of Daniel. We've watched him from a little boy, when I say young boy, maybe 10, 12, 14, being taken off into captivity, all the way now as an old man, maybe in his 80s, almost, probably maybe in his 90s, and he is receiving the final revelation, as you might say. Uh, God has been showing him a lot of things. We put it this way, God, by means of dreams and visions, gave to Daniel revelation concerning the nation of Israel dealing with the end time events. This is what he's doing. We're close to the final, we're, we're close to the end of this final vision. And what it does is it basically takes us, this last vision takes us from the time of Daniel all the way through to the time of what we call the tribulation, which is future from us, of course, and the coming of Jesus Christ and the kingdom. Now this morning, and, and you could tell by some of the songs that we sang, that one of the issues is resurrection, because it talks about that those who slept in the dust of the ground will be raised. In the Old Testament, there was a great deal about resurrection. They understood that one day that the bodies of people would be raised. And I want you to understand something, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. But when we say resurrection, we're not talking about some spiritual thing where like there's just a spirit being around. Resurrection is always resurrection of the body. And so even in the Old Testament, they knew that their bodies would be raised and that one day that death is conquered and all of that. So here's some questions, though, as we think about resurrection. Will all people rise from the dead? And will resurrection be a body or is it spiritual? I just mentioned that. But we'll all be raised at the same time. What's going to happen? How does this work? We'll see it as we talk a little bit this morning as we look at Daniel chapter 12. As we study the book of Daniel, we've seen the entire scope of history. Basically, it's from the time of Daniel with the, the Babylonian Empire and the Medio Persian Empire and the Greco Macedonian Empire and the Roman Empire and all of that and the death of Jesus Christ and now the church age. And we've seen the rapture aspect of it and then the tribulation time period and the second coming of Jesus and the kingdom. We've seen all of that in this book of Daniel. There's just all there. Uh, we're going to see the final vision. And as this vision ends, it's, uh, uh, it's sort of funny because at the end it says, uh, verse 4 says, but for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end times. W what is he talking about? What does that mean? How does it fit together? Well, we'll see it. Well, realize Daniel gets this vision and he gets a big overview of the tribulation and the resurrection and the judgments and the rewards, and they're all put together. So let me give you just an outline. The outline of the first four verses of chapter 12, the very first part of the verse gives, of, of, of verse 1 gives the tribulation, and then the last part, and on to verse 2 and 3, I'll talk about resurrection and judgment. And then the last verse that we'll look at this morning, Daniel seals the book. And so we'll see what that means, how does it fit together. So let's look at it. Look at Daniel chapter 12, look at verse 1, and this this angel has been given information, and he's, he's told him a lot of things. He's talked about the king of the north or the king of the south, and we saw all that, and we saw this one called Antiochus Epiphanes. He's even given information, which we saw at, not last week, because last week was Easter, and we talked about the resurrection of Christ, but we've even seen that he talked about the Antichrist, that man of sin who had come to power in the future and claimed to be God and all that. That's already been in chapter 11. Now in chapter 12, he brings it and puts a summary, and notice what he says, chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guards over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone found who is found written in the book, will be rescued. This one little verse has so much in it. The very first thing it says, at that time, Michael... Well, we're at the end time events and we're seeing one called Michael. Michael is the archangel. When you think about Michael... 
When you look in the Bible, there are a few angels that have names. There's angels that are called seraphim and, 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 and cherubs and, and those things. But there are a couple of angels that actually have names. Lucifer is an angel. We call him the devil, but that's his name is Lucifer. And then there's Michael, the archangel. And then there's Gabriel, which is the angel that seems to be the messenger angel. Well, this is talking about Michael. And Michael is an archangel, and he is a powerful being. In fact, I think of all the angels, the best we can tell from Scripture... Uh, uh, Michael is the most powerful of all angels. A lot of people think, no, 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 Satan, Satan, uh, Lucifer is the most powerful of all angels. No, he's not. And I'll show you why as we look at this passage in just a few minutes. So Michael is the archangel, but notice what it says. At that time, Michael, the great prince, he's called the prince of the people, will stand guard over the sons of your people. Now, Daniel's people are the Jewish people. And so he is giving Daniel information about the Jewish people. I want you to understand something to make sure you got it. You understand that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. They're not chosen for salvation. They're chosen for service. They were set apart from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down, a, a nation of people through which the Messiah would come, through which the word of God came. And so that's what we have. And so when he says the chosen people, not necessarily for salvation, because each individual Jewish person must do the same as any other person in the world, and that is to believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, for salvation. So he says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, he's using the nation of Israel. Now, he talks about uh, Michael, the archangel. I wanted to remind you, this is back in chapter 10, verse 21, where it says, however, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I'll tell you what's inscribed in the writing of the truth. Yet there is not one who stands firmly with me all against these forces except Michael, that's the archangel, your prince. So already back in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, uh, Daniel's been called the archangel or the prince of God. He fights for the Jewish people, and he fights for us. Uh, we know that there's a spiritual battle going on. We've talked about this before, that uh, we're not wrestling, as Paul says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of, of darkness in heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle that we cannot even see. And Michael fights not only for the Jewish people, but he fights for us. I want to read something to you. This, and this is where I want to show you why Michael is the most powerful of all the angels. This is the book that you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. This is Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, there is a war. Listen to what it says. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. That's the devil. And the dragon, his, his angels, wage war. So there's going to be a battle one day. This is in the future. This is during the time of the tribulation. There is a battle going on between Michael and what we'd say is the good angels and the devil and the bad angels, and it says this, and talking about the bad angels, they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. He deceives the whole world. He is thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, that's not talking about the fall of angels many, many years ago, before the creation of the world. That's talking about a time, and because Satan has access to the, to the throne of God today, but there's going to come a time when Michael defeats Satan and pushes him out of heaven. He comes down to the earth, and most people believe that's the tribulation time period when it gets the worst that it's ever been. Now, notice what it says in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And then notice, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation 
until that time. Now, that time of distress is the time we've always called it the tribulation, okay? Uh, that's his victory. It's called the, the tribulation. It's in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, it's called Jacob's trouble because the tribulation, that seven-year time period, is the time in which the Jewish people, it's their final seven years. If you remember on the chart that I, we've seen many, many times, that's when Jesus died on the cross of faith for sin. We are in the church age right now. That's us. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come get, get us, and we'll be taken off the face of the earth. There will be a seven-year time period called the tribulation. It's the final seven years of the Jewish people's 490, which we saw back in Daniel chapter 9, in that seven-year time period is going to be the worst time that's ever been on the face of the earth. There will be a man of sin come to power. We call him the Antichrist. He's called the beast that rises up out of the sea. He will come to power. He will claim to be God. Halfway through the tribulation, he put an idol up in the temple and all of that. And so at the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ comes back. This is the time period that, that the angel is telling Daniel. He says, there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until now. And you remember that we just mentioned that there will be a peace pact made by this man of sin with the nation of Israel. It'll last for seven years. If you remember that we talked about halfway through that tribulation time period, halfway through that time period, this man of sin then claims to be God. I have this chart that we, we've looked at before when we were in Daniel chapter 7, but he'll make a covenant with the nation of Israel. That's Daniel 9, 24 through 27. At the three and a half year mark, which is halfway through seven years, he breaks his covenant he claims to be God. It's called the abomination of desolation, which we found in Daniel 9, 27, which is also found in Matthew 24, 15, that Jesus taught. He puts his idol up in the temple, and the rest of that becomes known as the Great Tribulation. And for the next three and a half years, there will be sorrow, uh, probably the worst time, as Daniel, as it says in his book, it'll be the worst time, the time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. It's going to be a horrible time. If you remember, this is when the Antichrist sets up his idol in the temple and says, if you're going to buy or sell anything, you've got to take a mark of the beast, 666, put it there or there, and they'll have to have that mark. Believers will not take the mark. Believers will run for their life. He'll be killing people all over this world. It's a terrible time. It's called the Great Tribulation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It is called the wrath to come. It's the wrath on the earth. Uh, the Old Testament sometimes calls this the day of the Lord. Now, just in case you get worried, because sometimes we say things like, wow, so when all this happens, where will we be? Well, understand that we're the church, and the body of Christ is raptured out. We're taken off the face of the earth. There is a difference. I want to show you there is a contrast between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation. In the church, in First Thessalonians, Jesus Christ appears in the heavens. He's appearing in the heavens, but in Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to the earth. Jesus comes to deliver us. The second time he comes as the warrior, he comes for the church. The second time he comes, he comes with the church. He comes for love and compassion to take us out. He comes the second time, wrath and vengeance against the, the Antichrist and the devil. And then he comes to get his bridegroom. He's coming the second time as the, key, uh, coming to, uh, as the bridegroom to get his bride. He comes the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so it's an amazing thing. So do not worry. 
we who know Jesus Christ as Savior, we who are the body of Christ, the church, when he comes in the clouds, there'll be a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be called up together to meet them in the Lord. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. That's First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that little section right there. In Daniel, he says, there's going to be this time of distress that's going to be so bad, it's never anything ever happened like this before. But notice what he says. There will be the last part of verse 12. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, the Jews, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. The book is called the book of life. The only way you get your name in the book of life is by faith in Jesus Christ. And then you are in the book of life because he gives you eternal life. So every one of us in this room, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in the book of life. This tells that at this time period, during the tribulation, when all of this is happening, any and he's really referring more to the Jewish people here, but he's saying any of those people who are found written in the book of life will be rescued. And what we're going to see is that God saves those who believe. And it actually, he saves them in a physical way because he comes back in Revelation 19.11 as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he comes riding on a white horse, and we come riding on white horses behind him, but he does all the fighting. And he delivers the believers, especially the Jewish believers. That's why, if you've ever read in Romans chapter 11, it says, then all Israel shall be saved. And you read that and you get, what does that mean? That means the believing Jewish people at the return of Jesus Christ will be delivered physically from Satan and and the wrath. So that's what he's talking about there. He says they will be rescued. Now, I want you to see, he starts in verse 2. Look what he says. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. He's now going to deal with the resurrection. The resurrection. And you understand, we're talking about bodily. What's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? There's going to be a resurrection. And when you talk about resurrection, there is a division. There is a resurrection that's to everlasting life. There is a resurrection that's everlasting contempt. There are believers have everlasting life. That's by faith in Jesus Christ. We will live with Jesus Christ forever. Unbelievers will experience what's called the second death, and they'll be separated from Jesus Christ forever. Both groups will be raised. Before we get into the details, I want to remind you of something. Resurrection is not a New Testament concept. Resurrection was all throughout the Old Testament. We mentioned it a while ago. In Job, Job lived at the time of Abraham. Look what Job says. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. His Redeemer, the Messiah. I know at the last he will take his stand on the earth. That's Jesus coming as the king. Even after my skin is destroyed, I'm going to die physically. Yet, from my flesh, I shall see God, Job knew that he would be raised from the dead in his flesh to see the Messiah and the Savior. So even in the Old Testament, they knew that he'd be raised. Listen, unless Jesus Christ comes back soon, a lot of us are going to die. A lot of us are going to die physically. But one day, we'll be raised in the body, a body that will never wear out, and we'll be with Jesus Christ forever. 
So I want you to see something that you may have never put together because resurrection, Jesus Christ is going to raise everybody. But look, there will be a resurrection of mankind, but it doesn't all happen at the same time. And let me explain something to you. There is what's called the first resurrection, which is believers, and there is a second resurrection called the second death, which is unbelievers. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, or Paul writes and says, that there will be a time that people will be raised, but each one in their own order. That means not everybody will be raised at the same time. There will be a particular order in resurrection. Well, what, what is that? How does it fit? Well, I'm going to show you something. There, the first resurrection, which is the one you want to be in, okay? That's when by faith in Christ, the first resurrection has three parts. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the first one to ever be raised from the dead, never to die again. Now, Jesus resuscitated people. He raised a little 12-year-old girl. He raised Lazarus. There were other people raised from the dead, but they were raised from the dead to die again. That's called resuscitation. Jesus is the first one to ever rise from the dead, never to die again. And so he's the first one in the first resurrection. Following that, the church. When Jesus Christ comes in the clouds and gets us, the dead in Christ will be raised. We'll be changed immediately. That's a resurrection. And then the last aspect of the resurrection is when Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings to set up his kingdom. The Old Testament believers will be raised, and the people who have died in the tribulation will be raised, and they will all come up. And so the first resurrection has three parts. Part one, part two, part three. There is another resurrection coming. It's called the second death. It is after the thousand-year reign of Christ. So when he says there'll be resurrection, so I want you to see this. In the first resurrection, there's Jesus, he's first. There's the church, that's us, we're second. Then there's the Old Testament and the tribulation saints, that's after that. So let me just show you. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, he rose again. First part of the first resurrection. Then the church is raptured and taken out. That's the second part of the resurrection. When Jesus Christ comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints are raised from the dead. That's the third part of the first resurrection. So all of this is the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of life. Then there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ, and then there will be a second resurrection. It's called the second death, and it's of the unbelievers. Unbelievers raised, Revelation 20 says they won't be raised until the thousand years are completed. It is called the second death, and it deals with the unbelievers. So I want you to follow this. The first resurrection has Jesus Christ, the church, that's us, and the Old Testament tribulation believers. Then there will be a thousand-year kingdom, and then there will be the second resurrection, which is called the second death, which is at the great white throne judgment, and that's for the unbelievers. So understand, Jesus, us, into tribulation, we go into the kingdom, that's all first resurrection. You want to be in the first resurrection. There is a second death in which all unbelievers from all time will be raised from the dead. This is found in Revelation chapter 20. If you want to look it up, Revelation chapter 20, near the end of the passage, beginning about verses 13, 14, 15, and there they were raised from the dead to stand before what is known as the great white throne judgment. This is judgment seat of Christ. We'll talk more about that in a minute. That's rewards. And by the way, this is a rewarding stand called the great white throne judgment. We'll see how that fits in just a minute. So I hope you understand that. Now, from this, after he talks about resurrection, he then gets into rewards. 
And look what he does in verse 3. There is a lot in this passage. Verse 3, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. What he's saying is people who have insight, that means they believed in the Messiah, and those who lead many to righteousness, in other words, they tell people about how to have eternal life and how to be righteous and salvation, they will be rewarded. They'll be, they shine, they get rewards. Their believers will be rewarded. Do you understand that as a believer, you will stand before Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. You will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment, the word judgment is the Greek word bema, B-E-M-A. It means rewarding stand. The rewarding seat of Christ, it's found in 1 Corinthians 3, it's 2 Corinthians 5, it's Romans chapter 14, and this is where basically, and he does well done, and that's for some people during the tribulation, this is for all of us as well, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. The Old Testament and tribulation saints will be, will be raised and rewarded at the last of the tribulation of the very first of the kingdom. That's how it fits. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we'll be recompensed for our deeds. Let me remind you of something. And this is powerful. You will stand before Jesus Christ, and it says each one of us will be rewarded for the things we have done in this body, whether good or worthless. Now, I want you to understand something. You will never stand before Jesus Christ for sin. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have already been put on Jesus Christ on the cross he has paid for those sins. He has moved it as far as the east from the west. When you stand before Jesus Christ, it is not to deal with your sin. It's already paid for by Jesus. It is to deal with your rewards. It were you faithful as a believer while you lived on this earth. That's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ or the reward seat of Christ. And so when you stand before Jesus, it's not going to be, let me tell you about the bad things you did when you were 12, 15, 22, 37. That's all gone. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. But he did what? He washed it white. It's gone. As far as the east as the west, he will remember our sins no more. Jesus has paid the price. He is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. When you stand before your Savior, it's to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the only way he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, is if you did well. And that's if you're faithful. Because that's the key. Faithfulness when you stand before our Savior. The unbelievers will stand before what's known as the great white throne judgment. And guess what? They're not judged for their sins either. Because their sins were also placed on Christ. He's the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. When the unbelievers stand before God at the great white throne judgment, it says books are open, the books of their deeds. Not sins, their works. But guess what? The works of man are filthy rags. The works of man can't save anybody. And then the books of life are opened, and anyone's name not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. How do you get into the book of life? By faith in Jesus Christ. So when the unbelievers stand before God and the books are opened and they would say, look at the good stuff I did. He says, that doesn't get you in the book of life. By grace, we are saved through what? Faith. And not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of 
works lest anyone should boast. Listen, if you think you're going to get to heaven and get to be with God and all that by your good works, your good works won't put you in the book of life. Only Jesus Christ puts you in the book of life and that's by faith alone and Christ alone. And so believers, we will stand before Jesus Christ to be judged and rewarded for our works. Unbelievers will stand before Jesus Christ and the books will be open and they'll realize that any good works they ever did can't measure up for salvation. And if their names are not found written in the book of life, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. That's what we see. And so that's it. Some people have drawn up that the uh, judgment seat of Christ is be after the church is raptured. We're not sure when. In fact, in the book of Daniel, we're going to see at the very end of the book of Daniel next week that there is a time period called 1,335 days after the abomination desolation. And nobody knows what that's for. Some people believe that's when we stand and get our rewards. I'll talk to you about that next week. As you, if you want to read the chapter, you can. There's a lot there. Now, final instructions to Daniel. Here's what he's going to do. Look at verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, now this is an angel telling him, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Now he tells Daniel to this. He says, conceal the words and seal the book. Now what he means is this. Listen, the book of Daniel, after he wrote it, was put in the scripture. But so many of the things in the book of Daniel are concealed in the sense that how does it fit? He says, conceal it till the end of time. Well, when is the end? Hebrews, 12, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says the last days are after Jesus Christ. So you understand that after Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again and ascended back into heaven, from that point on are the last days according to the Bible. We've been in the last days 2,000 years. And if you remember, the book of Revelation was written in 95. When you take the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, all of a sudden the book of Daniel makes sense. I think God told, uh, the angel told Daniel, seal it up until the end time, until the book of Revelation. And by the way, I want to read this to you. Revelation 22, verse 10. When he got through writing the book of Revelation, he says this, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So the best that we can tell is when he says, Daniel, conceal it or put it, put it up, he's saying until a time comes when basically till the book of Revelation was written, till they go together and you can grasp it. See, we're very fortunate. We've got the whole Revelation. We've got it all. We've got the Old Testament, the New Testament. We've got the book of Revelation. It ties in with the book of Daniel. There's so many things that we saw when we studied Daniel. We said, let's turn to Revelation, see how this fits together. It fits together perfectly. So Daniel, seal up the book until the end. Many will go back and forth. Knowledge will increase. And I think knowledge comes through the Word of God where we could put it all together. So what is Daniel? Daniel is given the future. He sees the resurrection. He sees the tribulation. He sees the judgment. He sees the rewards. And he's been able to put it together. Next time, Daniel is standing out by that river. If you remember, that's where the vision started. And he's going to see three Three beings over the river, and they're going to tell him what to do. And we'll see what that is. So let me give you some applications so we can close. First application is this. Let's understand death's not the end. Death is not the end. There's a resurrection coming for all people. 
Just think about it. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again, he conquered death for everyone. Even all the way back to the Old Testament, they knew one day they would be resurrected. There's either the first resurrection or the second death. There's either by faith in Jesus Christ, that's you're in the first resurrection. By the rejection of Jesus Christ, you're in the second death. And let me just say this simply. If you are here this morning and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Jesus has already come and died on the cross to pay for our sin and rose again conquering death. He has offered to you a gift. The gift is eternal life. If you put your faith in Christ, you're trusting in Him to give you life. If you trust in Him, you're part of the first resurrection and you have eternal life. If you do not trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and you die, then that you'll experience what's called the second death and you'll be separated from Christ. I hope and pray that everyone in this room has put their faith in Christ as their Savior. The second thing is this. Let's, let's gain rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. We want to hear him say what? Well done. Wherever you are, whatever gifts, talents, and abilities you have, God just says, be faithful. Be faithful to serve him let your life count for him. That's all that matters. And then one day, in 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, we will stand before him to be rewarded. And what every one of us in this room want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Last but not least, let's be able to put together the end time events. Let's be able to see how this flows. And we've been seeing it. The Old Testament, looking forward to the Messiah, Jesus dying on the cross. We always put the error because he died and rose again, ascended back to heaven. We're in the church age. That's us right now. The next event's the rapture. Jesus Christ is going to come into clouds. We're going to be taken off the face of the earth. There'll be that man of sin come to power. There'll be a peace pact made with Israel. It'll be for seven years, halfway through the Antichrist. Puts his idol over the temple that claims to be God. At the end of that, Jesus Christ comes back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. There'll be rewards and everything like that. There'll be a thousand-year reign of Christ on, the, on this earth. If you're not sure about that, just look in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 1 through about verse 8. He says it eight times that there'll be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the church. After that, then Jesus Christ, there'll be a battle, the final battle, and then there'll be the great white throne judgment, and there'll be the eternal state. So be able to put it together. Because our Savior has conquered death, let's be faithful to live for him so that one day when we stand before him, we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant.